So let's open up in prayer and then we'll get started. Uh, Father, we come here to hear your word, to proclaim your word, to proclaim your truth, to be sanctified, filled with the Holy Spirit, commune together. We pray that you would ready our hearts for that. Uh, please be with our brother Greg Weiss, Lord, help him to feel better uh, and, and, and heal. Through the power of Jesus, we pray. Amen. And so this morning in Acts 28, as we wrap up, there are three things I want to look at in this chapter to wrap it up, and which kind of I will use as an overview of the whole book of Acts that we've kind of seen. And, uh, and so those things are, first, that over and over again in the book of Acts, it, this, is a, this is the only historic narrative we get in Scripture of the first century church um, in, in, the, in the narrative sense. And so over and over in, in the book of Acts, we are seeing the God of creation, we're seeing Yahweh pitted against other gods. Those are state gods, those are Roman and Greek gods, and uh, our Lord is showing himself, improving himself over and over that he is in control. Uh, the second point I want to make is that Paul keeps saying, I'm going to go to the Gentiles, but yet he keeps going to the Jews. This guy is double-minded, right? No. Uh, he, and if you look at verse 26, where he's quoting from Isaiah, uh, Jesus also quotes that in Matthew 13, where he says, go to this people and say, I will indeed hear, but you will indeed hear, but never understand. This is kind of the final stamp that Paul's putting and that scripture is putting in, in this context of that the covenant is being broken to the Jews and he is going to the Gentiles, which means that there's an inevitable judgment coming on the Jewish state of Israel and that the gospel is spreading far beyond Israel. And the third point I want to bring out is the very last uh, chapter, I'm sorry, the very last two verses in Acts 28 was where uh, Paul spent his time um, out of his own expense proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about Jesus uh, with boldness and without hindrance and te teaching about the kingdom. And so on our first note, let me find just roughly what verse we're looking at first. That the God we worship is the God of creation, the God of providence. He is totally sovereign. Uh, if we're to give you a little bit of backstory about where we're at in Acts 28 is the last five or so chapters, eight chapters, has been, we haven't seen very much life of the church. So mostly through the book of Acts, we've been looking at what is the life of the early church? What are they doing? What does it look like? How is, in, in, if Acts 1-8 is true, where Jesus proclaims that uh, you will receive power from on high, and then you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. If, if that is true, and Jesus is saying, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not stand against it, then the life of the early church is that narrative of being filled with the Spirit and Christ building his church. And he's, he builds it by people being witnesses. He, he builds it by power of the Holy Spirit. He builds it by creating a new Israel uh, he created by having a, a chosen people to go forth and, and proclaim what he's done. And so 
most of the book of Acts, we've been looking at the life of the early church and how Jesus is working through the community. But in the last about eight, nine chapters, we don't have that. We've got Paul getting arrested and him traveling from uh, port to port and his troubles there. Um, and so the last couple of chapters, Paul has been traveling to Rome. He appealed to Caesar when he could have been set free. He brings that out in this chapter also. Uh, he proclaims before uh, Agrippa and, and Felix, governors of Rome, and he gives his testimony more than a couple times. And now we're at the point where he's at, at sea. The, the ship had wrecked in chapter 27, and uh, Paul had seen a messenger, an angel of the Lord, had come to, to Paul and, and told him how to get the whole crew to safety. And the last time I spoke on chapter 27, it was all about, I told you so. And Paul's like, I told you so. And shoves it in their face. He doesn't quite do that. But, but he does say, I told you so, and, and so that he can give him more counsel. And as a way of... Uh, receiving what the Lord is saying and directing them, particularly directing Paul to do to, to save everybody in the ship. And so now they have crash-landed and they find out in, in the first couple of verses of chapter 8, they find out that the island is called Malta. And so this is the account where Paul, they're warming themselves by a fire. They're just in a shipwreck. They've been out to sea for months. At one point it says that they hadn't eaten for 14 days and they know they're about to hit land, and they're like, okay, let's eat and strengthen ourselves so that we could hopefully not die and get to the shore. And so they're, they've been in a, a heap of a mess with this ship, and then they uh, crash land on the island of Malta. If you look at verse 4, when the native people saw the creature, oh, I'm sorry, so Paul gets bitten by the snake. Uh, he's getting bundled in wood for a fire, goes in, puts his hand, gets the old snake on his hand. Warning, don't go camping. You might get bit by a snake. Verse 4, when the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, no doubt this man is a murderer, though he has escaped from the sea justice, which is one of the Greek gods, justice. That's why if you see it in the ESV or in other translations, it's a capital J. Um, uh, justice has not allowed him to live. He, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. They were waiting for him to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But when they had waited a long time and saw no misfortune come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. This is how the world works. You're getting judged. Something bad is happening to you. Obviously, the, the, god, the gods are against you. And then when the misfortune doesn't happen, obviously the gods are for you. It's whichever way they want it to go, right? And so they're saying this, the god justice, the sea, uh, that, that Roman god, that Greek and Roman god, had bitten, come through a snake, and because he was a murderer, he must not have been caught, because he's on a, or he, he was caught, he was on a Roman uh, ship traveling uh, to, to trial, and so they figured he must be a murderer, and that justice had finally caught up to him. Right, and then he gets bit, and then nothing happens. Well, he must be a god. We were wrong about the first instance about him getting bit, but we're definitely right about the second instance that he must be a god. 
And so that's the way the world works. And then if you notice in, I just want to bring it out in, got to find the verse. I was reading it in my, on my phone this morning. Okay, look at verse 11. And so on the islands of Malta, Paul, just to read it, to give you context, Paul had stayed there three months. They had happened to stay next to the, one of the governor's uh, mansions. They gave him food. They were able to, to preach to him for three months. And now they're going to set sail for Rome after, verse 11, after three months we set sail in a ship that had wintered in the island, a ship of Alexandria, with the twin gods as a figurehead. Putting in at Syracuse, we stayed there for three days. So why, did, why does he even make a mention of what is on the mast of this ship? What's on the forefront? Why does he even make mention that this ship has figures of the twin gods at the, at the front? I, is it, I think he's comparing gods again. I don't think he's like, well, this was a really famous ship, and you could look at that. Uh, there was a lot of ships. Um, but he's comparing gods again. I don't think there's a whole lot of other reasons why uh, that information would be in there, except that the God we serve is really sovereign, and he's constantly pitying, and you see this all throughout the Old Testament, the, the all other gods against the God, right? You get through, through in the uh, Exodus, you get the, gods of, you get the gods of Egypt against the God of Israel. And in Scripture, uh, and, and you can kind of see this, you see this through the narrative of the entire book of Acts, is other so-called gods versus the true God. Uh, you see it in the fortune teller. You see it in, in Acts, I think that's six or eight. You see it in Simon the Magician. Uh, you see it in uh, the, even against the Jews, you see it against uh, how the Jews are living and presenting versus the true God. And so, um, because I, I still stand by and uh, maybe, so 930 is more of a teaching and less of a preaching. And so I just want to bring that out. We could go through the entire book of, of Acts again and just look at that main point about Yahweh, the true God, our Lord Jesus, versus the other so-called gods. And just as a point of apologetics, everybody should be familiar with uh, the first about like 25 psalms. More familiar, I guess. If you start your Bible reading again every year, whether you finished or not, then you should be more familiar with those ones anyways. Look at Psalm 2. And so as a point of apologetics, uh, how God does apologetics is sometimes a little bit different how, how we do. Psalm 2, why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together and the Lord against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cord from us. He who sits in the heavenly heavens laugh. The Lord holds them in derision. 
Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. Right? And so the way I think this comes uh, across, at least in chapter 28 here, is that God loves to laugh and mock at other so-called rulers and gods who don't bow bow down to him and don't worship him. They're like, oh, he got bit by his, Paul got bit by a snake. Praise, praise the God justice. You got him, finally. Nothing happened? It's not working? Okay, you are the God. Let's worship you, right? Uh, the, uh, you know, the God we worship is, is consistent. He's, he's, he's steady. He's got a kingdom that is progressing forward, that is always moving forward in one way or another, and he opens up, and then that happens through our witness, through our testimony, and this obviously opened up a opportunity for Paul to witness and testify about our Lord. And, but uh, you have to kind of see the satire here that, uh, <laughs> that Paul was like shipwreck, like God's like, hold on, Paul, get ready. Like, go without, fast for 14 days unwillingly. Uh, I'll have an angel visit you to comfort you. And then you're going to be shipwrecked. And then you've got to, like, swim to shore. And then the Romans, uh, the Roman centurions are going to want to kill everybody because that's the easiest thing to do. But because you're kind of friends with one, the main guy, they'll spare you. And now you're shipwrecked on an island. And uh, uh, here's a snake. <laughs> I'm going I'm to let it bite you. I'm going to let these people think you're a god. And then witness to him. Here you go. He's like, if I was Paul, I'd be like, man, I'm tired. <laughs> I just <laughs> was on that ship, Paul. I was on that ship, God. Uh, but the, I think just the, uh, the way the Lord brings his providence into this is in how he prepares his disciples and those who, who he gives a platform to, to preach or to evangelize is a little satirical at times. He's uh, sitting up in heaven at that point, laughing at the, the governors of Malta, being like, look what I'm about to do. Why do you hold me in derision? Why, why do you laugh at me? I'm laughing at you. And so uh, go back and read the whole book of Acts as a satire, and you'll find it maybe insightful. And funny. And so uh, it's not obviously mainly a, a satirical narrative, but there are so many things that happen with where God is providential pitting the, the city gods or the Roman gods against the true God. And he's always coming out on top. And so the second point I want to make today is that this is kind of the, Paul kind of puts the final stamp in this historic narrative of the early church that God has sent his people to the Israelites, to the Jews, and they have rejected him. And there is, uh, there's this weird time period between when Christ was resurrected and between 70 AD, where before the temple was destroyed, where there could still be true Jews worshiping in a true Jewish way at a true temple, and Christians. 
you can't have any true Jews today. There's no true Israelites. Um, and uh, assuming the book of Acts wraps up around like 61 to 62 AD, uh, before the Jewish war started in 65, 68 or something, um, kind of puts in context where uh, it's also a little funny that the Jews in Rome hadn't even heard of Paul. They've heard of this sect, but none of the Jews at that point sent any delegates to warn them about Paul, which is like, why, how'd they skip over that one? Uh, they'd been following him to make sure he dies uh, all the way up into his journey. Maybe they thought he was dead because they got shipwrecked and they didn't know the ship was there. Maybe they assumed he was dead. I don't know. Uh, but that would, that would have been a safe bet uh, because the ship didn't arrive safely and they would have found out it was shipwrecked and maybe they didn't send any delegates to, to Rome because they thought Paul was dead. Maybe they got lazy, I don't know. But it appears that none of the Jews had heard about Paul. They'd only heard about this sect called the Way, uh, which they name it here again, even though they'd been called Christians at that point. And, and so there's this weird time where you get all of the epistles in this period where there's still a temple that people worship at, yet God is getting ready to end Judaism as they've known it for thousands of years. No temple, no Judaism, right? Uh, after, um, after 70 AD, after the, the Jewish wars with the Romans, after uh, after Jerusalem is, is sacked by the Romans and gets the temple totally destroyed and the prophecies that Jesus says in Matthew 23, 24 come, come fulfilled, then the Jews are so dispersed at that point that there is no way to tell if any Jewish person comes from any particular tribe or lineage anymore. And so... Uh, I think here in the book of Acts, you see that final stamp that Paul and by the Holy Spirit is, he's saying, prophesying Isaiah again, go to this people and say, you will indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears, they can barely hear. And their eyes, they have closed lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. And so you kind of have this running narrative through the book of Acts is that, that, uh, that Christ is bringing in some of the Jewish people as a remnant. Very few of them compared to the Gentiles. But it's Paul's, even when Paul says, I'm going to the Gentiles, forget you Jews, and he's like, I'm going to the synagogue to talk to people about Jesus. You're like, what? Paul, what are you doing? You just said you're going to the Gentiles, right? Because he knew that there was a remnant of people there. Uh, and it would, it's a lot easier to talk to people about Christ who had heard about the Messiah and knew the Old Testament scriptures. And so there surely God would have been anointing and electing somebody out of there. And sometimes he... He, there was many Jews that converted, and sometimes there was very few. And, but you have this like kind of running narrative through the book of Acts is that God is constantly saying he's going to the Gentiles. It's going to be way bigger than anybody had ever expected. And I don't even think Paul 
knew exactly what the Lord was doing. I know when he says that he knows Acts 1.8, Paul knew Acts 1.8, that he'll go into the ends of the earth, but Paul's world was like the Roman colonized world at that point. He didn't even know the world existed, right? And so uh, I don't even think Paul would be able to comprehend and understand where the Lord has taken his kingdom today. I, I, or at least I find it very hard if I think Paul would have just been his mind blown. It's like, wait a minute, there's like Christian nations? There's like, there's like nations that base their law after the Bible? What? <laughs> He's like, that's crazy. And it's not Rome? <laughs> it's somebody else? And so you see this narrative of Paul's going to the Jews, but, or, or the gospel's going to the Jews, and the gospel is going to the Gentiles. And, and I think this final stamp in the book of Acts, as the historic narrative of the early church, is, is kind of like when you get in, in, I know Matthew better, so Matthew 23, uh, end of 22, 23, early 23, where uh, Christ is standing in Jerusalem, and saying, how I would have gathered you like a mother hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you have rejected me. And, and so he says that your house has been left to you desolate. Your house, the temple has been left to you desolate. And so I think it's mirroring the same thing that Christ was doing standing in Jerusalem, that putting like another stamp for the, for the Jews, that um, the gospel is going to you and you have been rejecting it. But that also, I think, parallels that principle also goes with how we evangelize today. All right, we could, I think there's like one or two synagogues in the Dayton area. If we wanted to really follow the early church's example, we can go witness there on Saturdays. Try to reason with them from the scriptures. But, but really, I think the principle here for us is that... Uh, even though Paul was clearly told by God to go to the Gentiles, he was ordained to go to the Gentiles, he continued speaking the word of God, he continued evangelizing and sending the message to the Jews anyways, even though he knew he would be largely unsuccessful. Right? Or at least I think in, maybe in his mind. But so when we have opportunities to to share the gospel with people, do we continue and belabor and pray for them and, until it's too late? <laughs> or do we do, do it once? Well, they're not really open to it. Well, I guess I'll try somebody else. And, you know, I, I tried that once, like in fifth grade, to that one friend, and he didn't really get it. So I don't, I, that's all I could say. That was 20 years ago, right? Well, I don't think we're called to, to share the gospel with somebody Sometimes just once or twice, I think as long as that relationship is open, we're called to share the gospel with them until it's, well, I've told you a hundred times and uh, you've closed your eyes, you've closed your ears, and you're the one, it's on, it's on you, right? What I, wouldn't, I, what I don't want to do is stand before the Lord, uh, you know, and, and say, well, I tried once or twice. I did. I tried about like 3% for that one person that you, you were kind of, I, was, I had this feeling that you wanted me to share the gospel with. I tried once, and it didn't go the way I wanted, so I stopped. I don't think that's how we want to stand before the Lord when, 
when we see him is and to say that I tried a little bit. I think having the attitude and spirit that Paul had that said, I'm going, this is, this is it. I'm going to them no matter what. I know the Lord said I'm mostly going to go to the Gentiles, but the Lord's also opened this opportunity, so I might as well go, right? And, and so I really use that to commend everybody to go back to one, to verse one, I'm sorry, chapter one, verse eight, when he says that you will receive power on high and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, is that we are primarily witnesses of Christ Amen. as disciples. And we can't really be witnesses without being witnesses. And so not everybody is called to evangelize like Paul. Not everybody is, is called to have that type of ministry. But everybody is called to make disciples. Everybody is called to uh, preach the gospel in some form or fashion. I believe that the Lord opens us up to countless numbers of times a week that we could share the gospel that we miss. And I know it's true for me. If it's true for me, it's true for you. And so that leads us into our last point, uh, which is verse 30 and 31. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcoming all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. And so you're kind of like left on like a cliffhanger here. You're like, is Paul in prison? Is he going to make it like... If, uh, if you had never heard of the Bible or never read through it, didn't know who Paul was, you'd be like, what happened? Where's the end? What's, what's next? And then you're like, oh, you read the epistles, and you're like, okay. And then a little bit of church history, and you're like, oh, that's how it ends. Um, but he lived there for two years at his own expense. That's a common theme for, for Paul as he's traveling, that he's not putting any hindrance on anybody else, and he's welcoming all who came to him, and the primary goal of Paul's life is to proclaim the kingdom of God, <clears throat> excuse me, and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. And so I think, he, the, I think Luke, by the Holy Spirit, leaves us with this cliffhanger because the book of Acts doesn't, and like, and then, and then it's over, and there's the end of the kingdom of God, and and then, right, I think he leaves us with this cliffhanger is because the proclamation of the kingdom and teaching about our Lord Jesus continues. It doesn't end because we get the last, where does Paul pick up? Chapter 9. So we, we get the, uh, the last uh, 19 chapters or so about one man primarily. And so it is easy to read the book and be like, all of this is wrapped up in Paul. He, then he writes 13 epistles, and then he plants the majority of the churches. And then why isn't, why isn't he the head of the church opposed to Peter? And you get these kind of questions like, well, well what, what, what's next? Well, it's because it's ongoing. It's, it's left as a cliffhanger because the cliffhanger is still there. We're on the cliff hanging so to speak. It's not over yet, right? And this is how the kingdom is advancing, um, not just by signs and wonders, which it is, by getting 
you know, baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit that we see all throughout the book of Acts and, and planting churches, but by proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ. And, with, and Paul was able to do it without, with boldness and without any hindrance. And so uh, you kind of get this, this cliffhanger, like, what's next? But you also kind of get this lull about, like, oh, that was probably really restful for Paul. Paul had a rough time. I don't want Paul's, I don't want to imitate Paul's life exactly. And so uh, it's kind of this, it's also, it's this cliffhanger, but it's a little bit of a lull in, in Paul's life where he's just continuing to advance the kingdom by proclaiming the kingdom and teaching. And so, <clears throat> and teaching about our, our Lord. And so, but that's where we're at today. That, those last two verses are continuing. And they will continue uh, until, until the, our Lord's return. And so, the importance and heaviness about the proclamation and the teaching is where the book of Acts leaves us. Is if you want to, uh, I don't know if we could like write a, a handbook of how to effectively make disciples because it's, I don't know how effective that would be in the first place. I don't think or else the Lord would have gave us that. But it comes down to proclaiming the kingdom, that Christ is Lord, he is providential, he's the one, he's the anointed one sitting in the heaven, laughing at the world and mocking them. And we are just, week by week, teaching about our Lord, proclaiming the kingdom, proclaiming his lordship, everybody's lives being changed one by one, disciples going on, uh, building, building churches, having community, and so forth. And so uh, Luke leaves us with this because that's our mission. That's your mission. Go and proclaim the kingdom. Go and teach about our Lord. Amen. Right? And so um, those aspects of, of is what I kind of try to bring out on what we do in our 930 and 1030, just to give you a heads up because... I like discussing this, and this is a 9.30, and so it's more of a teaching, where the 10.30 is, is about proclaiming. It's about heralding. <clears throat> and so we have those two distinctions in Scripture over and over. Um, particularly, I've been looking at it recently through uh, elders in, you know, especially... Uh, I think it's in First Timothy, maybe three or four, where he's talking about that uh, an elder is worthy of double, double honor, especially those who who teach and preach. And so, some of us are going to be better at teaching. Some of us are going to be better at preaching. And so, this isn't reserved for the pulpit. Paul, as far as I know, he uh, was an apostolic minister. He started churches. He was probably the head elder for a time period, and then he planted them, left, did it again, and multiplied, grew a team, sent Timothy, Titus to be elders. And so, but in, in principle, all of us are called to proclaim, to preach, and to teach, and to inform. And so, uh, think about that as, as we're being witnesses of Christ, of when we're in the world with coworkers, with families, uh, around hot topic uh, Thanksgiving dinners, which is what my family used to be known for, and 
about how to instruct and how to proclaim. And so there's sometimes where we get into it where we have to say, that's not true, right? Like in, when Paul gets bit by the snake and they're like, oh, you're a God. You're like, that's not true. Jesus is Lord, Amen. right? That's a proclamation. God is in control. He is providential. What you just said was anti-gospel. Let me tell you a little bit of the gospel. And teaching is a lot to do with information and instruction. And so what we hear on Sundays at the 1030 is mostly preaching where we get the, the general principle, we get the gospel, we receive Christ. And our teaching, and you go throughout the week, you press that into the corners. That's teaching. You hear uh, like in, in the Ten Commandments, uh, let's, do a, let's do thou shalt not steal. You get the proclamation, don't steal, don't do it. And then you should get teaching on how to press that into corners. Like, well, what is stealing? Well, does the government steal? I don't know. Uh, let's, take a, let's take a look at that. Is it stealing if I borrowed a lawnmower and then it broke? Do I have to pay him back? Kind of was a bad lawnmower anyways. Uh, what do I do, right? Is that what is stealing and what isn't stealing? All right? Honor the Lord's day. Honor the Sabbath and keep it holy. What is, that's a proclamation. What does that mean? How do you press it into the corners is the teaching. And so uh, that's something I want to look at, at further in, in another uh, teaching series just to, uh, because you need to know when you're being a witness of Christ when it's time to proclaim and when it's time to teach. And you can't really, they're not inseparable. You can't you usually can't just limit one and, and only do teaching or only do proclamation. They do go hand in hand, which is why they're here in Scripture, side by side all the time. But when you have opportunities to, to be witnesses of Christ, you should be looking at ways to proclaim and ways to teach. Because sometimes people are just misinformed, right? And sometimes that teaching, a, a misinformation, on what they think the Bible says, who they think God is, what they think Jesus is like, uh, leads to a, uh, a more correct teaching, an opportunity to teach better on what the Bible does say, and a proclamation, which leads to uh, an opportunity for them to, to repent uh, and receive Christ and hear the gospel. And so those are the way the Lord kind of opens up of opportunities, so we need to be thinking about how we can be witnesses in those in proclamation and in teaching. And so that's going to conclude our book of Acts. We are done. <laughs> and uh, and so continue on as the book of Acts is just left at a cliffhanger. Go and proclaim the kingdom, and go and teach about our Lord. He's sovereign. He's got people out there who have to hear the good news. Amen.